So we're going to uh, talk about the Magnificat. That's another one of those words that maybe we don't understand. I'll explain it in a minute. Through the Advent season. And this is, um, you know, sort of uh, a difficult thing for an Irishman to do. Um, talk about Mary. I think I told you that I ended up um, several years ago speaking at an Alpha conference and the other keynote speaker was a Catholic priest. And he was from Glasgow and I was from Belfast. And we got snowed in. So we were in the airport and didn't know how long we would need to be there before the flights could take off. And so we went and sat down at the cafeteria, drank coffee after coffee after coffee. And he said, you know, we have all this time together. Here's a proposal. Why don't you ask me all the questions you've always wanted to ask a Catholic priest? And I'll ask all the questions I wanted to ask a Baptist pastor. So I said, yeah, good. So we went back and forward. And we got to the point, I, I, I looked at him, he looked at me. He said, is there anything else? And I said, no, hey, I don't think so. He says, are we good? And I said, yeah, I think we're good. And he says, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Celtic or Rangers? The Magnificat. I think when it comes to Mary, we either think too highly of her or not highly enough. And you know which side I think we're probably on. We're probably on the not highly enough side of things. So I want us to really try to remember um, the incredible account of the birth of Jesus to the Virgin Mary. And we will particularly focus on the section that is called the Magnificat, Magnificat is simply Latin for magnifies. So it's the song of Mary that magnifies the Lord. Here's the Magnificat. I know you can't read it, but just so you know that this is the passage that we're working from. Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel his servant in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants. When we talk about Mary, um, we think about our friends who are of the Catholic faith. And within Christianity, we would say there generally are three branches. We might say there's the Protestant branch, there's the Catholic branch, and there's the Orthodox branch. And between the Catholics and Protestants, there is a point of tension that is about Mary. And those of the Catholic faith would claim that we do not venerate Mary as we should. We of the Protestant faith would say, well, you venerate Mary too much. So what we want to do is find the, the proper medium between the two, um, whereby we don't just dismiss Mary because of the excess of one part of the church 
And then the Orthodox Church is sort of sitting there by the side and saying, yeah, 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 you're both off. Um, but yeah, Catholics are right in saying you Protestants don't, don't quite venerate Mary as you should. So within Roman Catholicism, there are what are called the four Marian dogmas. And, you know, sometimes you, you, you don't have that time at an airport to say, what do you guys really believe? I mean, what, what do the, the Catholic brothers and sisters who walk, you know, down the road and across and into the church there, what, what do they believe? What are they practicing? And these are the four dogmas of the Catholic Church. So these four things... Every good Catholic believes, and every good Protestant says, hmm, are you sure? What are they? Divine motherhood. The divine motherhood dogma is the idea that Mary was the mother of God. Um, in the early centuries, there was some dispute about how they should actually term that dogma, and would they call her the Theotokos, which means the bearer of God, or Christokos, which means the bearer of the Messiah. So for parts of the church, it was more tolerable to think of her as the bearer of Christ. But the one that really stuck and has become part of the dogma of the Catholic Church is the motherhood of Mary, that she is the mother of God. If she's the mother of God, therefore there are a whole lot of things that would accrue to um, the person who venerates her properly, because if she's God's mother, you know if you want somebody to, to do something and you can get their mom to ask them to do it for you, you'll probably get it done, right? So in very simple terms, that's the approach that the Catholic Church takes to um, the place that Mary has in speaking to her son and speaking to God and getting what she wants because she's Mary. The second is what is known as the perpetual virginity of Mary, which simply is the belief that Mary was a virgin when she conceived Jesus and that she was perpetually a virgin for the rest of her life. So the idea that Joseph and Mary had other children, they're not quite sure what to do with that. There's some ideas, but there's a belief that she was perpetually a virgin. The third thing that um, is believed by the Catholic Church is in the Immaculate Conception, which doesn't just mean it was a really clean hotel room. Sorry. Um, ugh. What it means is the belief that Mary was sinless from conception, that she never had a sinful nature. She was um, completely holy from the moment that she was conceived until the moment that she died. And then the final thing is called the Assumption, the Assumption of Mary, which is the belief that when Mary died, she went body and soul immediately to heaven. So those four things are what are called the Marian dogmas, and they just sort of give us a bit of a um, way to touch base with what, what our friends who are of the Catholic faith believe, and it gives us something to talk about, because many times these are simply dogmas that might be recited, but without a lot of understanding. And so um, in a very friendly way with my Catholic priest friend, I could say, well, do you believe that? And how do you believe that? And what does it mean to believe that? What are the implications and so on? So, But how, as we think about ourselves and ask, but is it possible that we don't think enough of the Virgin Mary? Let me bring you back to the passage we're looking at. 
And here's what it tells us. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. Here's the part. For behold, from this time on, all generations will call me blessed. All generations will call me blessed. So that's a, a wonderful realization on her part that for the rest of time, people are going to remember her and they're going to call her blessed. And what we're talking about this morning is you know, sort of trying to understand what that means. How do we call Mary blessed without venerating her or uh, making her more of a saint than she was? How do we respect what she expected would happen? Um, that is that generations to come would call her blessed. So it is that little phrase, from this time on, all generations will call me blessed. Well, looking at the particular context, so the Magnificat is in the first few chapters of Luke, and it gives us the story of the angel, the angel, the heralding angel, who comes and tells her what's going to happen. When the angel comes to Mary, he calls her highly favored woman. In the same chapter, that angel says, you have found favor with God. So, and t today we, we want to try to get the images of Mary that we see in statues or in churches or in art out of our minds. She's a, a very, very poor, probably illiterate 14 or 15 year old, right? So that's not what the pictures look like, is it? But that's who it was. And just grasping that um, gets us some distance down the road in trying to understand how do we now call her blessed? Um, the angel said, you're a highly favored woman. And it was the feminine uh, term that he used. He said, God has favored you. You are blessed among women. Um, we find when Mary comes to her cousin Elizabeth, and Elizabeth says, you're blessed among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Because remember the story that when, when Mary came to Elizabeth's house, when Mary greeted Elizabeth, Elizabeth's baby jumped in her womb. And as a result of that, Elizabeth says these things to Mary. Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your, of your, your womb. And she says, how is it that the mother of my Lord has come to visit me or has come to have this happen to me. So she's acknowledging that it's the, the mother of her Lord that she's greeting. And she says, and, and blessed is she who believed. So these things we find in the context, and they certainly tell us that, that she was a highly favored woman, someone to be taken um, very, very seriously in the history of the Christian faith and to try to sort out how then we as generations to come, in fact, call her blessed. There are four things that I sort of pick out from the story of Mary um, that I think are, are sort of teachable points for us. She was a profoundly humble woman. Um, and if, if we can get this today, the greatest intervention that God has ever made in human history 
the greatest interruption or disruption that God has ever effected, um, the greatest act of love that God ever began, all of those were by means of a young woman. Now, as, as you, you know, from time to time have conversations with one another, with others, about the place of women, about the gender inequality in the church, about whether we're complementarians or egalitarians, whether women can do or not do things. I think this needs to preface all of our thinking about gender, that the most profound thing that God has ever done was provided through a young woman, probably an illiterate adolescent girl in a faraway town or an out-of-the-way town. Um, and when, when God wanted to deliver his grace, that's how he chose to do it. He, he had every option under the sun available to him. But he chose a woman. And he chose a young woman. So honestly and practically speaking, I think, folks, pay attention to what your little granddaughters say. God cares very much about the 12 and 13 and 14 year old granddaughters. He cares very much about every female child as well as every female person. And in our world, which we understand to be um, darkly empowered by our enemy, we shouldn't be surprised about the attack on the women of our societies, of the moms, the little girls of our societies. And in the face of all of that, as God knew the mind of Satan and what Satan had tried to do from the very beginning, even with Eve, um, God says, when I bring my grace to bear, when it visits planet Earth, it's going to start with a little girl. It's going to start with a little girl. A profoundly humble woman. Humility is um, something that we think we really should be, um, but we often realize that, that we've not been very humble, that humility is elusive. Um, we're concerned about how we are viewed. We're concerned about how important we are. We're concerned about our rights. We're concerned about our opinions. And sometimes, hard as though we try to be the humble person that we sometimes even imagine ourselves to be, um, it just gets away from us. Um, wh why did God choose this particular woman? Um, we are left with this lovely sort of historic um, portrait of, of Mary. And I think w what it, it shows us, first of all, is that she, she's just presented as an incredibly humble young woman. When the angel visits her, she, she's first of all terrified that an angel has come, which you would be, right? Um, and the angel says, don't, don't be afraid. You're a highly favored one. And, you know, the Magnificat is um, Mary's sort of rumination on, on that and saying, my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit has rejoiced. He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And, and then she says, I, I, am, I am just a humble bondservant. 
it, it, it's again a term for a slave that actually refers to a female slave and Mary says why, why am I be, being chosen for this because I am I'm just a humble bond slave and it's almost as though uh, the angel says well didn't, didn't you hear what I said you are highly favored you've been noticed you've been chosen um, because of, of this incredible humility of yours the second thing that I notice, and it's a clumsy way to say it, but she's a pondering, contemplative young woman. Um, there are three references in Luke where Mary is said to be pondering these things in her heart or treasuring these things in her heart. Um, when the angel brings the message, um, Mary just ponders the message in her heart. That, that's what the text tells us. Um, later on, in the events of the boyhood and the childhood of, of Jesus, we're told that Mary treasures these things in her heart. She doesn't have a lot to say, but a lot goes on inside her heart. Um, this is a shout-out to the introverts who are good at contemplation, sometimes not so good at getting their thoughts into words or comfortably telling everybody else what they think. But those people that you know who are just quiet, um, not the ones who always you know, are ready to talk, and wonderful though that is, the ones that are quiet, it's worth saying, what are you thinking? I mean, what's on your mind? Um, what they tell us in most sort of committee, board sort of settings, or classroom settings, is to make sure that you ask the quiet person what she's thinking or what he's thinking. Um, and between introversion and extroversion, you know, we just have different affects about how we engage the world around us. And many times um, the introverts feel shy and they, they feel kind of confined in, inside the person that they are. I, I think Mary was an introvert because um, there are other people, when they encounter an angel, they have lots to say. Um, when Old Testament saints show up on the Mount of Transfiguration, the disciples have lots to say. They have ideas about building tabernacles, when, one for him, one for him. And, and um, Peter, when Jesus would say something that kind of caught Peter by surprise, he would take him to task and say, no, not so, Lord. That's not what we're going to do. Um, and, and Jesus has to rebuke him and say, get behind me, Satan. Sort of just pipe down. Um, so Peter was not an introvert, I think is the point. I, I, I'm thinking John was more of an introvert. We, we think back to John and we think about his kind of devotional gentleness. Um, and both um, are, are stellar apostles, Peter in his own right and John in his own right. But I think Mary would join the crowd among the pondering, contemplative young women. Um, our society is not one that promotes contemplation. Our society is one that promotes making quick decisions now, whether it's something we're going to buy or something that we, we believe or our opinion is. Um, we, can, we can just quickly you know, get to stand right up to the mark and say, yeah, this is the answer. This is what I'm going to do. And if you were to ask, well, how long did you think about that? I didn't need to think about it. Just I knew what to do. I knew what the answer was. I knew, I knew what it's all about. 
And so, good idea to just wait before you answer. One of the things that they tell us in, in um, the skills of, of teaching a group is that when we ask a question, um, particularly with children, we will let them, first of all, give their beginning of the answer, but then there's an awkward period of time during which you might jump in and finish the sentence. And siblings are really good at this. Um, Annabeth's family was made up of four girls and one boy. John had a speech impediment. He had a speech impediment because every time he tried to talk, one of four sisters finished his sentences for him. The space between when someone begins to say what they feel or think or believe, then moves into a period of time when it becomes clearer what they're really thinking or believing. And what we're told is that if we have the patience to wait until they finish the answer, we'll probably get the goods. But if we jump in and give the, the rest of the answer, we'll, we'll shut it all down. So contemplation. Um, and these days there is, there is a growing interest and pursuit of the proper kind of contemplation. And there are lots of books and lots of people that we can follow on that. The last thing that I notice about this young woman is that she was a present woman to scripture. The, the only thing I got right about this was that there are three Ps. It's not that any one of them is actually very explanatory. Here's what I mean. In Luke 1, um, if you look at it in, in any particular version, you will see that there are just a few of those verses that the whole text is capitalized. And what that means, I think like in the New American Bible, is that it's a quote from the Old Testament. Mary was quite undoubtedly illiterate. So with that in mind, when we go back and read the Magnificat and think this was prayed or or a young woman sang this. It's deeply profound. It, it is full of mystery. It is full of language and vocabulary. It, it's full of the, the realization of the message of the scriptures. So I'm, I'm presuming that Mary um, went to synagogue faithfully. And as she went to synagogue, she listened to the readings. She listened to the explanations of the readings. And whether she could read to any level or not, she was taking in what the scriptures were saying. And she was remembering what they said. So that when she sang a song, those words of scripture floated into her mind and they found expression in the lyrics of the song. There's also inherent in the concoction of the song or the composition of the song the fact that the Holy Spirit gets involved so the angel said Mary said how, how, I, I'm a virgin how could I possibly have a child and the angel says the child that's conceived in you will be conceived by the Holy Spirit so the, the agency of the, of the Spirit in the virgin birth is critical and we, we also find that when Mary is um, thinking of this song and being called out just to magnify 
God in the song. The Spirit comes and visits her. And I think this partnership between the Spirit and His fullness and the Holy Scriptures is, is one of the takeaways for us in remembering Mary and calling her blessed. The words that God has to use, generally, I think, are the words of Scripture. I, I don't know how it, it, it goes for you, and I sometimes do a, little t a, lot, a lot of talking inside my head, and I ask, who said that? I, I, don't tr I try not to say it out loud, because it, it really freaks people out. Um, but, you know, you're thinking about something, and you're having a little conversation in your head, maybe a little argument in your head, and when you sort of make a proposal or you have a little thesis or something, something talks back to you. For me, what very often talks back to me is scripture. Does it for you? Like, I, I really would love to know that from people because I'm, I, I'll hear that voice say something to me. It'll, it'll be in, you know, in, in just an ordinary conversation to myself in my head and then there's a perfect response to it that's actually like a verse or a phrase of scripture. So I'll say, who said that? Not out loud. Um, is it me? I mean, it could be, because the human mind, whatever it takes in, I guess it records someplace. And maybe the way the brain works is it just knows how to do this back and forward thing. But I don't think that's it, because it, it's not in ordinary kinds of conversations that that happens. I mean, I don't suddenly remember that Omicron, all oh, the new the new variant is actually the 15th letter of the Greek alphabet, and why didn't they not do Zeta, Eta, Theta, Yoda, Kappa, Lama? I don't know. They went right to Omicron. So I, I had that kind of conversation in my head this morning. But only because I made it happen. Nobody was really talking back to me. My head was talking back to me. But it's just uncanny the number of times that what I'm thinking about, Scripture speaks to the issue. Sometimes in just a very general way, um, sometimes in a, a quite a profound way, um, never in a way that just changes everything, but in a way that seems like it's one of those hints that God gives. That's one of those aspects of natural revelation, that the nature of Scripture is to be the voice of God, is to be the voice of the Holy Spirit. I think I think it also happens through songs that we sing, hymns that we sing, that God does the same sort of thing. But what burdens me then about all of that is how little scripture is accessible to people. So if the language that God has to talk to us about is the language of scripture, but we don't know what it is, um, he's, he's just not able to say, not with the wealth, that he is able to speak when scripture um, is at his disposal. So I would say, you know, to parents and grandparents, whatever ways, you know, your children, your grandchildren can hear scripture, can memorize scripture, can sing scripture, that the value of that on down through the years is the value of it being accessible to the Holy Spirit to say, oh, good. Orville has this question. He's, he knows a lot of stuff. I've got a lot of things to say to Orville, and they're going to just float out of Scripture. Um, 
Many times it's because I've just read a psalm this morning and, and God will say, well, that's the one we'll talk about today. So in an uncanny way, again, something comes up and it's all about the content of that psalm. So I'm, I'm making a lot of this, except that this seems to be the case, that Mary was, was not a schooled theologian by any means. She was not a rabbi. She was not a, a teacher. She was just a little girl. And she was a little girl who lived simply and humbly. She was a little girl who thought things over. Um, you know, she was the Anne of Green Gables kind of person, right? Rich in her inner life and rich in her inner thinking and her heart and, and mind. And she was someone who was present to the scripture. She was present to it. It was present to her. Even without, um, you know, codified Old Testament or certainly New, New Testament, the scripture was working in her mind and in her heart, and it made her mighty. It made her humble. It gave her the capacity to sing a song that we would continue to sing for over 2,000 years. Generations will call her blessed. Well, yes, at least for that. What a psalm she wrote. What a sort of contemplation she gave us as she, as we will see over the last few weeks, just goes back over the things that she knows God has done and God has said. And she said, he's, he's mighty. And in the midst of it, she's in awe because she says, and he's done something for me. Can you imagine? He's, he's done this for me. Not just, you know, a, kind of a, an itinerant great teacher that would bring... No, he, was, he, he chose this little girl in humble conditions and he enriched her life as she opened her ear and her heart to the Holy Scriptures and then she responded with a magnificat and said my soul magnifies the Lord so do we think too much of Mary or too little of Mary I dare say we think too little of Mary we will not worship Mary in fact I think we do a great disservice to the memory of Mary when we make her something that she wasn't. Because if she were to see herself as she's personified now, she would say, well, who's that? What is that statue that people are, are worshiping? Um, what were all those arguments people were having? Were they about me? Um, so Mary is not in heaven um, basically going to bat for us. She doesn't need to because her son is the intercessor. He's the mediator. So she doesn't need to. She can just enjoy being in heaven. And I'm sure every time there's a home going, you know, she's on the short list of, could I please talk to Mary? Well, then you want to talk to Peter? No, I'd like to talk to Mary first. Especially the women, the young women that get to heaven. And they say, I'd like, I'd like to see Mary, if you please. Um, the most momentous period of history was that 30, 33 years period of time during which God chose a little girl to deliver incredible things 
redemption of the world, forgiveness of sins, a home in heaven, a new kingdom, a new heaven, and all of those things delivered, the agency of, of a young woman. As we think about the people that we respect, I would encourage you as well to keep thinking of the women whom God has used and how many times have we very happily admitted that if it were not for our wives, if it were not for our moms, if it were not for our grandmothers, if it were not for the Smitas of our world, how, how could God have done the wonderful things that he has done? He started it all with just this little girl and said, I'm going to use you. Really? Yes. And we, for generations, call her blessed. So we're going to end with a song that I love um, by Mark Lowry. Probably everybody now has heard it Christmas after Christmas after Christmas. If you follow Mark Lowry at all, he's one of the singers in the, Va the Gaither vocal band and he's a bit of a comedian. Just as unlikely it was that Mary would write this Magnificat, it's just unlikely to me that Mark Lowry wrote this song because it's beautiful. And that's terribly demeaning to him. I don't mean that, but it's like, really? It wasn't Bill Gaither who wrote it? It should have been. No, it was Mark Lowry, so enjoy it. 